Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about what's really going on when you feel sore after a workout, why we don't know who designed the Taj Mahal, and the real reason why you have to change your clock for daylight saving time. Let's spring forward into some curiosity. The phrase, no pain, no gain, is a myth. If you've ever been hard on yourself because you didn't feel sore after a workout, then listen up. Because soreness does not mean you got a good workout. But it feels really good to feel sore after a workout. Oh, it totally does. Yeah, I absolutely, the day after, I'm like, yes, that was so good. Oh, I feel like death. It's awesome. Do you do it in that voice? Yes. <laughs> awesome. That's my, that's my working out voice. Good. <laughs> so first of all, here's why your muscles get sore. The technical term is delayed onset muscle soreness, which you typically feel between one and three days after a workout. We don't totally understand what causes it, but it's probably because when you exercise, you create microscopic tears in your muscles. And those tears cause inflammation and an increased feeling of pain. Most exercises can cause this feeling, but the biggest offender is anything that requires eccentric contraction. That's the lengthening phase of a movement, like when you lower a weight or you run downhill. Another big cause is just doing an exercise you're not used to doing, like starting a new workout program or going on a five-mile hike when you haven't gotten out in a while. The thing is, that inflammation around your tiny muscle tears means your muscles are rebuilding themselves and getting stronger. But that doesn't necessarily mean soreness equals muscle growth. Muscle damage isn't the only way muscles grow. And that soreness isn't a really good indicator of how much muscle damage you even have. A paper in Strength and Conditioning Journal found that participants felt that pain even when there was no evidence of muscle damage. Think about this. The more you do an exercise, the less sore you feel afterward. If soreness meant muscle growth, wouldn't that mean you'd get all the benefits of an exercise the first few times you did it? In that case, why would bodybuilders keep lifting and marathoners keep running? No, the reason you don't get as sore the more you do an exercise is the repeated bout effect. That's an adaptation your body makes after the first workout to make sure your muscles aren't as damaged the next time. And like I already said, damage is not the only path to stronger muscles. Feeling great the day after a workout doesn't necessarily mean you slacked off. It could mean you're getting fitter. As much as some fitness buffs love to hurt so good, it's not always necessary. And feeling too sore to work out is a guaranteed way to slow your progress. As always, the key is balance. But you're saying if you do work out and you do feel sore once or twice, that's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with feeling sore, but there's also nothing wrong with not feeling sore. And if you work so hard that you feel too sore to work out the next time you want to work out, that's a bad thing. It's like DDP always says, pain is pain. Modify your positions. Diamond Dallas Page, DDP Yoga. Look it up. It's a great program. That's why they call it DDP. That's his name. Got it. (laughs) Here's something weird. Nobody knows who designed the Taj Mahal. Seriously. And I mean, come on, it's not even 400 years old. It's not like it was designed that long ago. It was commissioned in 1632, and it's considered one of the new seven wonders of the world, along with the Great Wall of China and Machu Picchu down in Peru and, you know, the other four. Have you ever wondered why the Taj Mahal is a big deal in the first place? Well, it's because it combines Indian, Persian, and Islamic influences. So it's the most distinctive and outstanding example of Mughal architecture in existence today. The Mughal Empire ruled most of India and Pakistan in the 16th and 17th centuries. 
the Taj Mahal represents a key turning point in the identity of that empire itself. The Mughals were proud of their Persian and Timurid roots, but the design of the Taj Mahal shows that they now saw themselves as being Indian first while respecting their Muslim heritage. One of the building's most dominant themes is hierarchy, which played a critical role in Mughal religion and philosophy during the 17th century. We know the Taj Mahal was commissioned to be built as a mausoleum for the favorite wife of Shah Jana, the fifth Mughal emperor. Yes, I said favorite wife. That's how they rolled back in the day. And we know that he personally oversaw the design and construction of the palace. But historians say there's no way Jahan could have designed the building himself. The official Mughal histories account for 37 designers and architects who would have been able to contribute to the Taj Mahal commission. And more than 20,000 workers from throughout India, Europe, Persia, and the Ottoman Empire contributed to the construction of the Taj Mahal, alongside a thousand elephants doing a fair amount of the heavy lifting. Whether or not one person designed it, the final product was definitely a group effort. See what we can accomplish when we all work together. Don't forget to set your clocks ahead this weekend. That's right. We're releasing this episode of Curiosity Daily just before daylight saving time hits the U.S. Uh, also, I still can't get over that it actually is daylight saving time. I want to say savings every time, but I'm going to do it correctly. It's not savings time. <laughs> You're doing it wrong if you say it that way. Yes. So it's no fun to spring forward and lose an hour of sleep. Uh, <laughs> But we'll try to ease the pain by teaching you about the history of this infamous tradition. You might think we invented daylight saving time to give American farmers more daylight during harvest. I did for a long time, but that's actually not true. It all had to do with World War I. During wartime, President Woodrow Wilson proposed setting clocks back an hour in the fall to give people an extra hour of daylight. The idea was that we could save energy by not using electric lights. The original idea wasn't even his, by the way. A New Zealand scientist had proposed the idea in a paper way back in 1895, and the German Empire started setting their clocks forward by an hour to save on artificial lighting in 1916, two years before the U.S. adopted the practice. In any case, the time change was a boon for commercial interests. It gave office workers more daylight for shopping at the end of the day, after all. But contrary to popular belief, it was nothing but trouble for farmers. The shifted clock messed with farmers' entire schedules. It meant they couldn't work as quickly in the morning because the fields were covered in dew and cows weren't ready to produce when the milk truck arrived. They disliked daylight saving time so much, in fact, that they pushed for its repeal in 1919. And they succeeded. But that federal repeal turned daylight saving time from a broad national rule to a mishmash of state and local regulations. It created so many time differences that you could pass through seven different time changes on a bus from Ohio to West Virginia. That was fixed in 1966 with the Uniform Time Act. It's changed several times since then, but the modern schedule has been in effect since 2007. There are, of course, a lot of reports of health problems when we change times, but we won't get into that today. Just try to go to bed a bit early on Saturday, and hopefully we'll all wake up refreshed and ready for a nice spring week. That's all for today, but you can keep learning all weekend on Curiosity.com. This weekend, you'll learn about the difference between every salt at the grocery store, which four specific facial features people pick out when they meet you, the 11 factors to falling in love, according to one psychologist, why the U.S. launched half a billion tiny copper needles into orbit during the Cold War, 
and more. If there's something else you're curious about, then email your question to podcast at curiosity.com. We might answer your question on a future episode. That's podcast at curiosity.com. Come hang out with us again Sunday on the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. And stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.